You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes and even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will arrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello, hello. Welcome to the GFR show. Do you want to write a book? Today's guest, Susan Crossman, says that 80% of people, when asked that question, they will say yes. (laughs) And she herself took 13 years to write her first book. And let me tell you, this show is about what was going on in her life in those 13 years. And it will make total sense to you why that book did not get birth sooner. She is now a book coach and editor, and she has now five traditionally published books. And she's all about helping like coach type people, consultant speakers who want to write a transformational book, a book as in her words, she says, is going to change people's lives after they read the book. She is so passionate about this. I can't wait for you to hear her story. She has been through it. She has been through it. Alcoholic husband, which was her second husband and mother of three and sudden loss of husband. And just, I mean, all even that leading up to that moment when she finds out that he's in the end of his life and, and then who she is now with her uh, boyfriend and her amazing business. And she's just a delight to speak to really somebody who, you know, is appreciating life and has such a passion about helping people, you know, birth that book. And as she says, the one that's tapping you on the shoulder and for our GFR squad members, we did a really cool bonus session where she coaches me. Cause I said to her, How do you know when you're supposed to write a book? Because there's so much pressure in this entrepreneur space that you need to have a book. Like it's a box you need to check. And I've been feeling that for the 22 years that I've been in business. And there's been uh, a few different ones that I've, you know, thought about writing kind of basically got as far as like reserving the URL, (laughs) but that's about it and never have. And so I said, well, how do you know? When you, when you need, like when you really need to write that book, how do you know? And so she answers that question and coaches me in the bonus segment that only our GFR squad members get. And remember our GFR squad is only $20 a month. You get a bonus session from every single 
person I interview and we get together once a month on a community confession call and we pick a GFR commandment and of course the confession question and we have an awesome conversation about it and we even talk about the episodes on the show and it's just a really great connection place and a fucking awesome group of people so if you've been meaning to do that please go and join the squad at gfr.life forward slash squad I would love to meet you and get to know you and talk GFR journeys together Okay, so without further ado, I can't wait for you to meet Miss Susan Crossman. Hey, Susan, welcome to the GFR show. Hello, Lisa. It's wonderful to be here. I'm so excited that you said yes to my invitation because I, when we first met, I know that you were excited about being on the show, but then I always say to people, okay, go check out some episodes. It's not your run-of-the-mill <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and then you came back with like, now I'm even more excited. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> I, I really love that. I love that. So everybody knows about your amazing, you know, business that you have now and that you help people write books and, and transformational books. And yes. I'm, I, I love that. I, I think there are not enough people writing the books they're supposed to write mm. in the way they're supposed to write them. So, cause I actually have a bias towards like you don't need a book. You don't need to have a book. But if you feel like you need to write a book, you need to write a book. Does that make sense? Yeah, your book comes and taps you on the shoulder is what, yes. how I look at it. Is yes. that, uh, you know, some people don't really want to write a book, but they think they should. Yeah, you know, we, we've got this write a write a book, you know, check a box, write the book, right. do the stage You need to write a this. book. It's a business yeah. card and all this BS, which I think is very distracting people that are not supposed to be writing books <laughs> yeah well yeah it puts a lot of pressure on people who have no interest in doing it and they're terrified of it and yet there are other people out there who have this secret desire yearning pull inclination to write a book and i i look at that as the book's been tapping you on the shoulder probably for years and in not writing that book, you are denying a part of yourself, actually, a part of part of what you're here to do on the planet. So yes, it's I about totally, courage. Yes, I totally agree. And I always say, like when I'm coaching somebody, that like I could feel whether like some people, it's like they have to get the book out. They have to get the words out, the stories out. They have to go through that process to get to the other side to till they can be working with clients and creating courses or whatever they're wanting to do. And, and when that's the case, I say, oh yes, I'm all about follow your intuition and what you're drawn to, right? And then they're the people that feel like it's a should. And so that's what I, I resonated with when I met you because I could really feel that you were helping really, really special books get ran. And I think, oh, yes. yes, yes. And we're gonna understand why that is about you as we get to know you through your GFR journey. <laughs> Ready? <I'm> excited. Yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> let me put, buckle up my seatbelt first. Totally. <laughs> I think my husband says that in our pre-recorded introduction. I think he says buckle up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm buckled up. I'm All ready. right. Awesome. <laughs> okay. So let's go back to, well, let's go back to when you met your second husband, so your daughter was how old? Mm, I think she was about five. Okay. So she's my daughter from my first marriage. And yes. Then, yeah. 
And so you were willing to get married again. Like you were like, you weren't turned off to love. And so, you know, you believe there was somebody else out there for you. Yes, yeah, sort of. <laughs> Talk to me. Talk to me about that. Okay. So I, my first marriage had not been the happiest of marriages. And my little girl was two when we split up. And then I entered single motherhood world, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners have been there. It's yes. very challenging. And I really wasn't planning on getting married again. But I went to a psychic. Are we okay to talk about psychics here? And that you can talk of- whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, let's so, go there. <laughs> all right, we'll go there. So a friend of mine was going to this psychic and she said, you gotta come, you gotta come. So off I went, went to this psychic. I was seeing a, a bad boy at the time. He was not good for me, but very, <laughs> very magnetic, very charismatic. There was a lot of chemistry in that relationship. And Subtext, the- really good sex. <laughs> Yes, she's yeah. nodding her head, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell my mother. I won't um, tell your mother, I promise. Okay, thank you. So <laughs> anyway, the psychic said, you got to forget about this guy. There is a fellow out there for you. You're going to meet him in February or March of next year. He wears a suit to work. He's really well-educated. He's got a couple of kids. And he went on to describe this guy and then said, his name is either Michael or Stephen. So I leave the psychic appointment and go, okay, where is this guy? You know, I'm looking under every rock for a Michael or a Stephen for months. This was in the fall. And then lo and behold, round about January, February of the next year, I come home from a really busy day at work and there's a phone message on my phone machine. And it says, hi, it's your old boyfriend, Steve Quigley. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just calling to shoot the breeze, see how things going. Of course, he's my high school boyfriend. This is my high school sweetheart. Okay. I haven't seen him or heard from him for years and years and years and years. Was it like and a like, high school reunion happening or something? Or did he just then, find you on Facebook? He just, just called you out of the blue? He tracked me down. He found okay. my, one of my the best friends. The old fashioned friends. way? <laughs> now, this was, this was kind of before the internet. <laughs> so, yeah. So, anyway, we, we, we went out. We made a date to go out and had the worst date ever. But the, the first date was just like, oh, he is so boring. He'd uh, gone into finance and he was, you know, had his suit on and he talked about money all night. And I, by, I'm a single mother scrappling and grappling with life, trying to make things work. And I thought, nah, I, okay, the, where's the Michael? There's the, you know, this is <laughs> Cross <laughs> Next. Steve off the list. <laughs> yep. No. And we went out again, just for old time's sake. And then for the third date, I said, well, you know what? I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm busy for the next few weeks. And he said, mm, no, no, okay. you're not. You're not busy enough to see, too busy to see me. And I said, well, that's pretty pushy because I really am pretty busy. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, are you free in three weeks? And I couldn't think of what to say at the time. I'm, you know, <laughs> yeah, then it really sounds I, like you're trying I to avoid him. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really want to be rude or anything. So we made a date. The time came and this was the last date. Like I, I said to one of my girlfriends, okay, no, this is it. We are not seeing each other again. <sighs> He's so boring. And, but I've made this commitment. We'll go have our last date. So we went off to this, this roadhouse type bar and I had the best time of my whole life. It was somehow (laughs) as though somehow being free of the guy, you know, suddenly made it okay to be me. And he was, he was Ah. in his fine form. He was fun. He, He suddenly appeared to have a sense of humor, which I hadn't seen before that. And that was it. That was when Cupid struck. And that was it. Like from, from then on, we were, we were a team. So it was pretty Thank romantic. Thank goodness now. for third dates. <laughs> it was our last date. Yep. <laughs> 
Yeah. So that's and kudos for met. last dates. <laughs> you needed to feel like a last date in order to like, like you said, make yourself comfortable and, and, uh, Maybe even, maybe he even was feeling like he was on the chopping block. So he needed to really bring it. <laughs> yeah. He had to up his game a little bit, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and so you dated a while and were, and you were sharing with me as we were getting ready for this interview that you like, because he smoked, you're like, I'm not marrying you, which I thought, wow, like that, you know, I totally get it and respect it. And to like really know that you are enjoying being with someone and having a partner and to say, but, but no, you're, you need to quit smoking. Yes. How'd that, get, how'd that go down? <laughs> uh, he wanted to quit smoking. He didn't really want to be a smoker. He was, he, he'd been the kid at school that my parents really didn't want me to date. And oh. he had dropped out of school and he picked up some bad habits, of course, along the way and struggled for a while until he realized he was going nowhere. And then he pulled his bootstraps up, pulled himself up by the bootstraps and got back into school, got a whole bunch of university degrees in math and economics, became a respectable citizen. But the holdover from his, his past life as a wayward youth was that he had this smoking addiction. And so we, when we were talking about how serious things were getting, I said, yeah, but I can't make a commitment to you un unless you, you quit smoking. I'm health conscious. I don't want to end up widowed. Like this is where smoking goes. We all know that this is not a way to conserve your health. And so if you really, really value this relationship, then I would like you to quit. And he said, yes, he really wanted to quit. So he tried a bunch of stuff and and after a while, it was obvious that this wasn't working. He was highly addicted and, and a stress junkie too, I think, to some extent. So, so I finally thought, okay, I love this man. I, I, you know, for better, or for worse, I'll take a chance. And so jumped in and married him. All right. Yeah. yeah. It is interesting to think, you know, when you are in that shop life, you know, shopping for a life partner thing, and you kind of have a vision for what you want. And then you, you know, and then you're, you meet somebody and there's certain, especially when you meet them older, right? So he, you know, you had been around the block, you had been married, right? You had a kid, you know, you're kind of like, you know, been on your own. And so you get more ideas about what is going to work for you. If you're going to do it again, I imagine. Yeah. Um, I've been married for 26 years as of next week. So I don't, I was so young. Thank you. And I was so young. I don't know from what I'm talking about. I have no experience, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I can imagine, I know my friends that are later in life that are divorced or, you know, on, you know, in a new round, they're very clear what they want the next time. Right. Cause you, yeah. it's so helpful to know what you don't want. You know, then you do get clear about what you do want. So, yeah. so you marry him. So you marry him yep. and did you feel like it was a good choice? Oh, for sure. Yeah, we were very compatible. We had a lot of fun. He had two children from his first marriage. I had a daughter from my first marriage. The kids got along really well. We had a family and it was really fun for a while. Yeah, like it was, we had some, some wonderful family experiences. And then what was your professional life like at the time? Oh, I'm a career writer. I, I've been writing uh, since I came out of the womb, I think almost like I, that's, <laughs> I'm a word nerd. I love language and words. And, and that's really what my career had been. I started in journalism 
uh, went through government communications, corporate communications jobs, worked as a copywriter at a marketing agency, and then became a freelancer. So the time I met my second husband, I was freelancing as a, as a marketing copywriter. So that's what I was doing. And if, okay, we want to talk about dreams too, for sure. So my dream as a writer had been to write a book. And my book had been tapping me on the shoulder for years, as they do. And so when I got pregnant with my son, who's now 20, well, I guess I can say that, that people can do the math, 22. And I was going to write my first book while I was pregnant. We had this big idea. I was freelancing, but I was going to write the book. And then in nine months, the baby would come and the book would be different and life would be just peachy keen. And then, <laughs> you know, of course, in nine months, the baby was done. But the book magically wasn't. <laughs> and it was, Darn it. I, I know it was kind of embarrassing too, because I'm a writer. Like I should know how to do this. I should be able to write a book. And of course we lived on a beach at the time. And that's pretty distracting to go for a nice walk on the beach. And we had two dogs. And I think I got sucked into this idyllic life that we had that was, you know, I got to get my work done. So the book was the last thing on the list. But um, yeah, it took me 13 years to write that first book, ultimately. Really? Okay, mm. we're definitely going to have to, to oh. learn more about this book that took 13 years. Oh, yeah. The, but yeah. I, I want to hear about the book being birthed in the timeline of our story that we're oh, telling. Okay. Okay, yeah, so make sure to right come time. back to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. If I forget, say, and that's when the book was born. Uh, so in case I forget. Will do. Okay. <laughs> okay, so you obviously wind up, having more kids with your new husband mm -hmm. and you're enjoying your life as a writer you're on the beach then what does the next chapter look like oh well somewhere along there right before then okay can I I guess I can get messy can I can I tell you all this? yes please. I would prefer that you, like you get mess? messy okay so this yes, sounds like please. the perfect life we've got the the corporate guy working in finance we've got the writer living the beach the dogs on the <laughs> beach it was just wonderful and then my husband's ex-wife came to him and said well I've met a guy at a party and I'm going to move in with him and I'm going to take the kids with me so we were all living quite geographically close at the time and so my husband said oh well this doesn't sound great and she said no 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 this guy's wonderful we we really get off on each other we love each other we, it's fabulous the catch was the guy lived two thousand kilometers away like he lived all the way across the other side of the country so for her to go move in with this newfound forever love that she met at a party you know, and take these two beautiful little children who are maybe six and eight at the time, five and eight, something like that. Like uh, my husband just freaked out and I did too, because we had a family going here. Yeah. And so there began, we, we contested the, the move legally and said, uh, not a good idea. Like, and there were extenuating circumstances and I don't want to drag her name through the mud or anything, but we did not feel she was an appropriate guide for these, these kids. And, and of course we thought we were. So off we go to this knockdown, drag them up, awful, awful legal battle that ended up costing, gosh, $100,000 or something by the end of it. Oh my gosh. Um, we, we stuck to the truth because we figured we had nothing to hide. Her story just got better and better. With, with every affidavit, there were more allegations that were completely not true, lots of lies we were devastated by the experience 
it felt it felt abusive actually to be going through this kind of thing and she won she won the right wow. to take the kids across way across the country move in with this guy she met at a party and on, on the promise that she would do everything she could to support the relationship between the kids and their dad which she hadn't done to this point so why would that happen then so anyway this is such water under the bridge now but my husband went into a tailspin he yes. he was he really loved his kids like he he was one of those daddies who just you know I, I would have to fight him for my babies like when we had a new baby in the house like he 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 had that baby all the time <laughs> and I think part of it was having lost his first two kids the relationship was just not there like he couldn't maintain a relationship with his kids and and he couldn't handle that very well so I look back on it now and I realized that was probably a nervous breakdown that was happening okay. um, he quit his job he tried to start a new business it it didn't go he lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in all of this and so we went bankrupt Wow. <laughs> we lost our house we had our brand new little boy um, or I was I was quite pregnant with my son when when this all went down and so what do you do you know, we were at that crossroads of, holy shit. Yeah. Where's the guidebook for this? Like, quick, what do we do now? And anyway, we pieced it together. He got a job uh, in, we'd been living on the beach north of Lake Erie. So he got a job and long, long way away. We, anyway, that kicked off years and years of um, a job insecurity and moving a lot and no money. Because when you go bankrupt, you don't have credit. So we right. had to pay the support for his two kids. And, and I went and got pregnant because, of course, that's what one should do. Right. <laughs> In the yes. middle of that. Like, I mean, well, I think we need another and baby. <laughs> <laughs> this just isn't good enough yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, impregnate me, dear. Let's. <laughs> so, yeah, it was really messy. And he ended up being unemployed for about a year and a half in around there. So there was a lot of financial hardship actually that, that really came out of that. And, and, but we, we stuck together. Like what we realized was I had to be, I had to call the shots and create the strategies because he just wasn't up to it at that point. He couldn't figure that out. And I think that really is the seeds of his decline started all around that whole messy period where he felt that he was letting his family down and, letting himself down and didn't know how to fix it. And that's when he started drinking. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it's like, I always think when I hear someone who's going through such a hard time, it's like, okay, how did they cope, right? What were the coping skills? And, you know, often, you know, whatever it is, gambling, shopping, sex, alcohol, food, whatever it is, you know, those are the easiest things sometimes, especially when, it sounds like it really was a kind of all system breakdown career and, and his kids. And, and it must've been really challenging to shift the dynamic so much where you were really leading the family and making, it sounds like all the decisions and you probably didn't sign up for that. <laughs> nope. Nope. That's not what I was expecting, but you know, I think all of us have the capability of making those choices in the moment where 
holy shit, what do we do now? It's that holy shit moment of, okay, I don't know what to do. So let's try this. And that's, yeah. um, you know, after, after lots of discussion, we were a team. We knew we were a team. We, I believed in him. I, the guy was brilliant, had the biggest heart in the world. He, he had the raw ingredients to pull it off again and, you know, to get back on track. And, and I believed in him. So that's, I did whatever I had to do to manage him. And, and he wanted me to manage him. It's not like I became this controlling bitch that decided she had to, you know, tell her husband what he had to do. But, you know, we did a lot of, a lot of strategizing together about, okay, how do we get out of this? But, and he did, he, he eventually, he got back on track. We, you know, he got a really good job and stuck at it for quite a long time, but but was drinking. And yeah. So that was... And I know that I've, I've been there to a certain extent when, you know, uh, your partner is not happy with their career, you know, that they're not, they don't feel fulfilled. And, and for men in particular uh, to make a generalization when I know it's a generalization, th- their identification with the career is more so for men than for women generally. Anyway, it seems that it could cause a bigger downward spiral for men in some ways. So it's it's hard when well it's it's hard when your partner isn't happy. Period. I'm sure it, you know our listeners can relate to that when you know when you're in a uh, and it's someone that you really care about and there's just so much that you can do. Yeah. So then what happened? <laughs> oh, then what happened? Well, we you know we bounced around for a few years and. Finally, I don't know, we in 15 years, we had 14 different addresses. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So my job, you know, you talk about two two younger kids than your older now older child. Yeah, Yeah, she she was pretty independent, getting more and more independent all the time. But so that really became my job. I, I, I set aside my career in order to make the family work. And so it was about finding a new place to live and packing up and, wow. and moving everything and coordinating the, the schools and the doctor's appointments and the dentist and, da, 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 you know, and, and there really wasn't room for me to find fulfillment in my work. And, and my work was fulfilling. You know, I'm, I'm a mummy. Some of us are mummies, you know, I don't know if you're a mummy, Lisa, but you know, you just, you get excited about the babies and, and you know, feel... not me. No, no, not everybody <laughs> is. no, not everybody is. And I am like, it's, I, I, I'm, I've moved beyond that phase a little bit now for sure. But I, I found a lot of fulfillment in being a mother. I didn't find fulfillment in being the troubleshooter for the whole, fa- like the general manager of the universe was not what I really wanted to yes. do. But you general know, general manager of the universe. <laughs> she just mouthed the word fuck. <laughs> I'm waiting for my badge. <laughs> oh, girl, you is there you're a badge? At least four so far in the story. Oh my god, <laughs> there should be a badge. Oh, and I'm god. so I, and honestly. I'm glad that you were a mummy, as they say in, in Canada, because because at least that was you know you were being fulfilled. Like if if that was, yeah. you know, I interviewed my daughter on the podcast a few episodes ago, and we talk about how I'm not a person, <laughs> and we have a good laugh about that because I mean, of course, obviously, I love mine, but yeah, I'm not. I I didn't like the baby part of it. I like this part <laughs> where yeah. she's a person. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I was bent that way, you know, I'm made that way anyway, and just not that much, you know, that was, yes. you know, it was the, the baby part, but it was all the other logistical part of really running a family kind of on my own, you know, he went to work, eventually yes. he got a job and he, he did that, but the rest of it, this was not a guy to go to school, teacher appointments or soccer practice or any of that stuff that he couldn't he didn't have a bandwidth for that and yes and it's sad because the man that you the before at the beach was really so distraught because his kids his kids were taken away you yeah. know and so obviously he really highly valued that but now you know him having a job and and being able to function that way was was what he could do and and yeah it's understandable yeah. 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 I had a lot of compassion for him. I was very angry for a long time. You know, it's not that I was Cinderella yeah. here dancing <laughs> at the ball going, oh, this is fine. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was pretty, pretty crappy. And it's amazing what we could endure. It's truly phenomenal. The th just things that we never thought that we could walk through. We do. I mean, you're a single mom. I'm sure you never thought you were going to be a single mom, you yeah. know, and now you're, you know, and now in the second marriage, you know, feeling like you're sort of alone, you don't have your partner. And it's amazing what we could suck it up, you know, how we could suck it up. And, but then it's just for so long and then you just, it's not sustainable forever. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, yeah. we get these little grains of hope, I think too. I think that's what helps keep us moving forward through it is there's that hope that it's going to get better, that yeah. something's on the horizon that, I, okay, when this changes, then it's going to be okay. And, and I think that's how we keep ourselves going quite often is that just that little bit of glimmer of light out there somewhere that, that just is going to change things. So you're, and are you still writing this book? in the background of all this off and on. And I was struggling with a, what a lot of your listeners probably have struggled with, which was who am I to write a book? Who's ever going to read this thing? What, you know, why, I don't know how to write a book. I don't know how to get published. I don't know why I'm doing this. This is not adding a penny to my family's treasure chest, which of course at the time we had five kids and stepkids, all of whom needed financial support in one way or another. And, and I wasn't working. I, yeah. you know, my husband was not making a lot of money, but he had a job and I'm the one holding it together and trying to write this stupid book that's not going to make us rich. And so it was a stop and start kind of a thing when I, it was a, it felt selfish to be working on the book. It was a novel. And so I, I, I couldn't justify selfishness at that point. I've gotten really good at it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And our last guest, before, I think it's the one before you, Brigitte, wrote the book, The Art of Divine Selfishness. Oh, I love <laughs> <So>. that. <laughs> there is room for selfishness in a life. Yeah, I, I just wasn't there at the time. So it, it went on and on and on. All these things kept happening. And we, then we'd move. And then I'd get my little desk and computer set up and puddle and feel guilty about trying to work on a book. And yeah, I, di I didn't have the mindset tools at the time to get through it from a from an authoring perspective and I also didn't see it as part of my mission on the planet which now I get uh, is what we're doing with these books it's part of our our divine service is writing uh, these books and oh, I didn't beautiful. know that then yeah okay so take us through the next part oh 
Well, and what happened? We, well, we had some happy years. We, we, we pulled our finances together. We bought a house. We bought, actually, it turned out to be my dream house. Beautiful house. It, my kitchen was to die for. It was, I, I had the dream kitchen in the world, which, and I spent all my life in the kitchen. So that mattered at yeah. the time. Now, now I actually hardly ever, <laughs> Interesting. I hardly ever spend time in my kitchen. My, my 20 year old daughter's the, the cook and the family. She's amazing. But so we had this gorgeous house overlooking a beautiful park. And my husband was finally happy with his work and drinking a lot. And that's really when we started having a lot of arguments about the drinking and the smoking I'd given up on by then, you know, that he had tried many, many things to quit it. None of it worked from hypnosis to, oh, there's a book you read. There's, you know, he, he did it all and finally threw in the towel. He was never going to quit. He was diagnosed with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease we were fighting because he was drinking uh, a really ridiculous amount of alcohol. I didn't know how much, but he would uncork his first beer at 8.30 in the morning. He had a job where he could work at home okay. and he loved working at home and he was really, really scary good at what he did. So his employer didn't, didn't mind. His results were through the roof and he was getting up in the morning, having his coffee, then switching to beer. Uh, having a little nap around noon and then drinking wine all afternoon. And so like it was, he, he was all drinking all day and which in and of itself wasn't a problem because I was so busy running around with kids and I volunteered at my church and getting groceries and all that kind of stuff. I wasn't noticing his drinking behavior, particularly what I was noticing was what a nasty son of a bitch he became when he was drinking yeah, I was going to say, it has to impact his personality. Oh, yeah. He was not nice. He was nasty. He was unfriendly. He was he would find fault with everything. And I'm going, huh, sorry, I'm doing all of this for us. And you're complaining? Mm -mm. And so we'd fight. And that was a really unpleasant time for my kids because there was so much shouting and screaming in the house. And I, I would get furious. I was so angry that he didn't love us enough air quotes to air quotes. to quit drinking and and this went on for a couple of years and he'd be fine he'd and and, and i've come to learn i've done a lot of research about into alcoholism and addiction since then and i've come to realize there are some patterns around behavior that are pretty common you know he he'd pull it together uh, we'd have these big fights he'd pull it together and stop drinking for a while you know we'd put parameters around the drinking and it, and it would things would be pretty good for a few months and i'd start to relax a little bit and go oh i'm so relieved this is finally we're getting somewhere and then gradually you know he'd be sneaking sneaking the drinks again and and then suddenly he'd fall down the stairs the front stairs up we had a beautiful garden with long steps up the, the garden and and he'd I'd wake up the next one morning and he'd be bruised all over his body and he'd say well I, I think I fell down the stairs wow and so it was I was I lost a lot of respect for him I this magnificent human being who I had loved enough and respected enough to make babies with was really letting me down was letting his family down so I was probably going to leave him at some point we you know we, we needed to we needed a miracle and along the way, I had this great idea that, okay, we need to get him out of the culture here. We, we need to shake things up. So 
I said to him one day, you know, you're really good at what you do, right? He was a currency trader, currency strategist. And he said, and he puffed his chest up and said, yep, I think I'm the best in the world. And I said, yep, I think you probably are. And he probably was, you know, he was yeah. brilliant at it. And I said, so you could work anywhere in the world probably, right? And he said, yeah, sure. Yeah, I could do that. And I said, okay, I want to move to Europe. <laughs> let's do, <laughs> let's, let's move to Europe. Let's have an adventure. Let's go somewhere exciting. And so I planted the seed of a dream of going to Europe and living in a, some community somewhere where we could raise the kids close to history and go on these amazing weekend trips all over Europe and explore. And I, I'm a big history buff. I love museums. I could go to all these amazing museums. And, and so that became a project for us. And uh, I worked on that and it didn't come together well. He, he did end up landing a job in, in Southern Switzerland where the climate is great. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the lifestyle is fabulous. And so that was the project then that we started working on and it didn't go together well though. So no, you never went to Switzerland. Well, so what happened was, you know, we had trouble with the visas. The money wasn't gonna quite work out because the kids had to go into private school because they didn't speak Italian magically. We spoke French. We speak French in the home. Um, my kids went to bilingual schools, French and English in Canada, and I speak fluent French. But in this part of Switzerland, the, the language was Italian. And so my Italian okay. is not great. My kids didn't know any Italian. So we wanted them in private school. Well, that's really expensive. And the healthcare system, we'd need to buy health insurance, which in Canada, we don't really do. Our taxes are high, but we don't need a whole lot of extra health insurance because things are covered what else happened the, the the plan you know there were visas there were problems with the visas it, it everything took a really long time and i kept bashing man i am moving to switzerland i am moving my kids to. i mean switzerland. that was your lifeline right i yes. mean that was like yes <laughs> that was that project that glimmer of hope that kept me going i thought everything will be fine if we can move to switzerland i don't know where i got that yet <laughs> Yes. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. Somehow I thought that would be the magic bullet. That yeah. Would... Well, in 12 steps, they call the geographic cure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's there. Were, there I was in complete denial. <laughs> of the problem we really had to deal with. Um, so so finally, uh, Steve was ready to get on a plane. He had his ticket booked. He was going in June. I was going to sell the house, follow in September for the kids to start school. And the week before he was supposed to get on that plane, his former employer dropped a bombshell and said, if you go take that job, we're going to sue you for non-compete. You have no right to work uh. for someone else. You need to work for us. Well, we were shocked and went to a lawyer, of course, and had the lawyer's advice was, well, they don't have a leg to stand on. They're, that's ridiculous. However, they seem very angry that you've left and they could tie you up for years and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal bills fighting you on this. So my advice to you is to not take that job and do something else, which is what we ended up doing. And I cried, Lisa, I cried for three days. I was wow. so set on this dream I had created yes. in my life of of moving to this magnificent quaint Swiss town. And oh yeah, it was my, my future died right then, which is a real barometer of where I was at the time. I didn't have dreams for me personally, really. It was about the family. And um, that was really, 
really interesting for me today to look back on where I was because it was, wasn't really a fulfilling place to be. It was kind of a desperate place to be. Yeah. And I say that with love and compassion for everybody. I mean, it was, we were doing and yourself best. and, and <laughs> me. Yeah. 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 I can hear that. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was interesting. So that's what we did. We, we, he found another job very quickly and I pulled myself together and, you know, kept, went back to my life. And then six months later, he was diagnosed with terminal stomach cancer wow. two weeks before Christmas. And that was, uh, you know, that was a real shock. That was where I think I mentioned earlier to you when we were speaking, that was where I really began to see divine grace at work in my life. If we had moved to Switzerland, we would have been stranded in a foreign country where I didn't speak the language well, with no support, no family, no friends, uh, no real health care. I mean, as it turned out, he wouldn't have been eligible for health care anyway because he had a pre-existing condition. So we would have been out of pocket hundreds of thousands of dollars because of the, you know, the cost of caring for a cancer, a terminal cancer patient is, is obliterating. And it would have been a huge disaster. It was a disaster anyway, but it, it really would have been way, way, way more impossible than it actually turned out to be. So, so yeah, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Just so Christmas. when you say he was diagnosed with terminal cancer, does that mean that when they found the cancer, they said, there's nothing we can do, you're going to die soon? Yeah, well, gosh, there's another story for you. So he's continued, I'm angry all the time. He's trying to do better and doesn't, and he's obviously struggling. I didn't know, yeah. he didn't talk to me about whatever it was that were his demons, but they were there. And we weren't going out. He wouldn't go out of the house. He wouldn't, he would, he stayed home and drank. We didn't have dates. We didn't go to people's houses. And that's what I was fighting about all the time was I want to go out for dinner. Right. We've been invited to my friends for dinner. I want to go to as a couple somewhere. Nope, nope, not going to do it. And finally, what at the Christmas party, his new company had a Christmas party and I got excited about it. We were going to go to the Christmas party and I went out and bought a new outfit and really sexy heels and I lost some weight and, and I was stepping out we had a babysitter. It was just going to be the most amazing night in my life. And the night before the party, he turned to me and he said, we're not going to the Christmas party. And I oh said, uh, and I said, literally, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. We are not. What do you mean? Who are you to decide we're not going to the Christmas party? You know, then big, horrible fight. We're standing in the bathroom of our bath in our, of our house. And I am madder than I've ever been before. Like this, this is it. Like this, this is, is the, it. this is the line you do not, this is the deal breaker right here. I have been an amazing wife. I have supported this guy. I've supported my family. And right then and there, he leaned over and vomited a sink full of blood wow. into the sink. And then I got mad, even more mad because I thought, oh, good way to get out of a fight, buddy. Like, that's, <laughs> what do you mean you're doing that? So not, not entirely sympathetic at the time and not reading right. it well. So that, then he just kept vomiting blood and wow. took himself to the hospital because we had two kids sleeping in the house and he got himself a baggie and got a, got a cab. And I had nobody I could call to drive him or I would have done that. And uh, he nearly died that night. He lost so much blood, his heart stopped. And so they got him, they got him going, did all the tests. And it turned out to be a massive tumor in his stomach that was, they, they thought he might get a year. 
uh, Max, and in the end, he was gone within three months. It was a pretty oh galloping God. cancer. Yeah, so that was really um, a lot to deal with in a short time. Wow. For, for all of us. Wow, three yeah. months. And yeah, you thought you had a year. So imagine he was being treated or something and that was giving you some hope. Yeah, what they, what they did was they said, look, we can give you some radiation. We can give you chemotherapy that might buy you a little bit more time. It, it might reduce the pain because stomach cancer is ridiculously painful. That was our big challenge while I was nursing him to his death, was keeping on top of the pain. We never really did till he got into a hospice. And they, 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 they nailed it. He was not in pain anymore, which was nice. But yeah, I was looking after him at home and the, he didn't want the treatment. He, he just, why go through chemo and radiation knowing that it's not going to make a difference? Just he manfully met his death is all wow. I can say about that. Yeah. Is that what you said? He manfully met his he death? Manfully in his model of the world. That's what a real man does is face the pain. Wow. And, you know, we, there were lots of things we could have tried. I, I'm a big believer in holistic therapies and lots of holistic vibrational medicine. Even at the time I was playing with that kind of stuff, not interested. He wouldn't that do That is so extraordinarily frustrating uh, when someone you love is sick and you want to help and they're not open to other things that you, yeah, that, oh my God, I can't even imagine what that's like. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Susan. And oh, like, thank you for sharing that part of the story. I'm glad I asked the question uh, just to be in that vivid fight where you're just like, that is it. We like, like, we're not going, we're not going to Christmas party. That is like, I, that is it. And then in that moment to, to, that was the moment where he was on his way out. Right. Like that was, it's so profound because, you know, I, I'm laughing because I, we had a, a funny exchange with my daughter the other day, my husband, it's the three of us. So we're, we're pretty tight and, you know, she's not, we kind of talk about everything and, you know, she's always around cause she's not with a sibling or whatever. And, and, and COVID and all that makes her always us three of us around a lot together yeah. over the last year. And we were, I was just talking about how, I think we were talking about my husband sometimes snores and oh. I was just like, you know, or, you know, whatever things our partners do that are make messes or whatever and I said even when I'm annoyed I know I could I'm aware there's a part of me that would really miss that snoring if he uh, wasn't there yeah you know all of the horrible whatever annoying things that they do are just so insignificant when you really hold the space of you know like he's here and I am so aware of that and, and I was sharing with you before we started recording about that um, that's one of my biggest fears is something happening to him. And part of it, and I'm going to be really transparent here. Part of it is just feeling like, could I handle all the things that he handles? Right. It's like, obviously I don't want him to die. That would be terrible. And I'd miss him and all that. But real, but when I, when I think about, oh, that's my worst fear, it's because I have such fear about, or had, we've actually put a lot of things in place because I have this fear, you know, that, oh my God, could I run, you know, could I, cause he's, we're such partners 26 years when we were together 10 years before we had our kids. So we've been doing this life, you know, thing together for, and we really work well together. We kind of have our zones of genius and kind of rock it out that way. But I, but there's so much I'm grateful that he handles, you know, 
that I don't handle. And it's, it sounds so silly to be like, I, you know, one of my worst fears is that he would die because then I wouldn't know where the insurance forms are, which of course we've remedied, but you know, like, it's just, it's That's just fixable, totally fucking fixable. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we've actually, when I really got real about what my fears are, we fixed a lot of things, you know, and I've gotten way more, I'm way more connected to things that I was not connected to. Cause I do so much in my own running my own freaking business that it's nice to have somebody handle some of the personal financial stuff and all that. So, so that, you know, so hearing your story and that sort of that moment of just being so angry. And then really that was the beginning of the end. You know, I just, I, I try to think that I live my life appreciating the people around me. My mom was diagnosed with cancer when I was a junior in high school. And that I, I always say like implanted some kind of chip in me that life is short. You know, she's still here and now is actually finishing up another uh, journey with cancer um, 35 years after the first one. And so when you said terminal cancer, I was like, because this was something that happened to us is that she got the diagnosis and it, it sounded like it was terrible. It, it was, it's, we, it, we, it's all over. We don't know where it started and we don't know. How, and it's stage four. And it was just like, you know, it was like, and, and now she's finishing up chemo and I feel like she's going to have a fucking awesome Phyllis 3.0, I call her, <laughs> um, you know, now, but it's, it's poignant those moments where you really don't know, you know, you don't know how bad it is. And it really gives you that glimpse of appreciation. And, you know, so I feel like I always, since that time when I was a junior in high school, I just feel like I always have the dual awareness of like, my kid is driving me crazy, but oh my God, I would, you know, I just, or, or maybe that's easier with a kid, but my, he's driving me crazy, but oh boy, I would really miss it if he was gone, you know, kind of thing. And, and my mom and dad, and I'm always like, make sure the good buys are high quality and all that. I don't know what, I don't know if everybody's like that, but that's how I am. So I just, I imagine, I, I really would like to hear how, you know, how that whole thing has impacted the way that you live your life. And of course, how it impacts your the expression of your business. Cause that's, you know, what the show is about in terms of all of our, all of this stuff serves us. <laughs> wow. Where to start on that one. And I'm, I really honor you, Lisa, for that awareness, because I think that's an awareness I didn't really have before Steve died. <clears throat> I, I, I valued him and I treasured him. There were, he was a wonderful human being. I mean, the, the addiction was a, a part of yes. how he was expressing his life that wasn't him. And right. so much as that created a huge amount of unhappiness for me, um, I, I, I valued him, but, but it was really that diagnosis that made me go, oh, shit, now what, you know, now what again? And so, yes, to kind of answer that question, I, 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 it did a lot of things for me that his, his death, life and death were pivotal. He's, he's, still in my airspace at times the love doesn't die and what really it, it kicked me off into a spiritual journey for one thing because I was there up until the last 30 seconds of his life in the hospice he chose to transition when I left the room interesting and yeah That's it was, common. I, yeah <laughs> it is it is he chose his time of death which was 2020 wow which to, yeah, but he was in a coma but he died at 2020 which would was so him, <laughs> 2020 <laughs> hindsight, you know. So that there was a real spiritual component to me when I came back into the room and he was dead. 
that was a shell that was that wasn't him anymore and it had been a minute earlier so there right. there is a there is something animating these bodies of ours that is mysterious and grand yeah. So number one, I, I became far more spiritually interested and in tune. So that kicked off a journey in terms of the book that I'd spent 11 years saying no to. I recognized, holy crap, I'm going to die. What if I die before I know whether I can be a published author or not? That could happen yes. to me too. <gasps> oh my God. And so I pedal to the metal through that book. I finished the book. I got it edited. I found another editor. I worked away on it and I ended up getting a traditional publishing contract. Who knew? Wow. So that kicked off my authoring career and made me very sensitive to trauma and struggle. And it increased my compassion for everybody on the planet. If this is what I'm struggling with and not really telling anybody, what's you, what are you struggling with that I don't know about that is maybe affecting your behavior? You know, so people behave in suboptimal ways sometimes. It's not because they're assholes. Quite often, they're just having a really crappy time yes. and don't know how to express it. So it in terms of my business, well, of course, then I had to go back to work. I've been home for 10 years. I had to immediately recreate myself and support my kids. There was some life insurance money, fortunately, and there Thank was goodness. also a shitload of debt. Um, you can't drink. We, for us, it's liters, but he was drinking 16 liters of wine every week and four cases of 24 bottles of beer every week and wow. two packs of cigarettes a day by then. Like, like this was like adding up, like aside from how horrible that was to his body, it was costing us a lot of money and so he was generating a lot of debt and he had a gambling addiction and there was stuff I didn't know about going on so I had a lot to deal with as a new widow went back to work kick-started my freelance writing business this this little thing called the internet had happened while I'd been home with my kids <laughs> it wow. seems to have affected marketing like <laughs> that's, a, that's a really big thing to miss out on <laughs> thing is the internet like wait wait aren't, aren't we doing direct mail anymore like <laughs> I know I was a direct marketer when it used to be mail <laughs> I hear you sister <laughs> so I had a learning curve ahead of me so I, I reconfigured my business I wow. became ultimately I, I learned I was learning nonstop dealing with my kids who were traumatized predictably yes. by what had happened oh and yeah but but it it grew my heart so much so when I came back to my career it wasn't with this kind of performance oriented mentality that marketing so often is driven by. It was with a real keen interest in how do we, how do we support people in their heart work? You know, how do heart work? I love that heart work. We all have heart work and I became highly tuned into heart work and to the point where that, those are the people that I work with now now you know and then you're, you're niching and you're figuring out your market niche and I didn't know initially what that was but what is that now 13 14 years later I totally get this was all a gift you know when we talk about how your struggle has supported your mission okay that's the gift the gift was I know how hard it is to get through a day I know what it is to have almost no hope and those are the people who I work with, the people who've walked that path and have done their work because I had a shitload of therapy. <laughs> yes. I've done a lot of coaching. I've done all, every, every personal development program you can imagine I glommed onto because I didn't want to be in pain anymore. Yeah. And, and, and so now I've created a pathway out of my pain into 
well, this wonderland called joy, right? <laughs> we can be joyful. Yeah. And you have an awesome boyfriend. <laughs> yes, I do. I got the world's best boyfriend. <laughs> wonderful. And it's, I'm going to, I think I'm going to read this quote. I'm, I think you won't mind. And okay. you say he makes your, oh, he does yoga and he makes your, cur he makes your toes curl, just not during necessarily during yoga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And you were, you were referring to GFR commandment number four, which is trust that your struggle serves your mission. That was your favorite one. Yeah. And, uh, and really speaking to all of the ways that this whole experience has given you a spiritual boost evolution and really has you have super deep empathy for people that have had trauma and excitement because I support people who are writing books that will help other people we're we're, we're in the field of the transformational book as as you were mentioning earlier it's that book that you pick up and you read and you go oh my god I've just had this aha moment and life will never be the same I suddenly get a piece of what I, what I need, like this, this big light goes on in your life. And those are the people I work with to write those books that will have that impact on people so that we can create a world that is far more focused on harmony, joy, compassion, empathy, delight, progress, and success in business, and abundance, and prosperity, and all those things that make life better at the end of the day. It, it, for me, it all comes from a book. Like, like all these books that we've read that have affected us that's the world I play in yeah. and that's what I'm really focused on helping other people who've had those struggles and know there's a path out of it like they're not still stuck in their shit they've done their work they found a path they have a recipe air quote recipe for making life better somehow now let's share it with the world through the medium of a really really well written gripping engaging book and that's, that's my mission. That's, that's I love it. And I love it. You're so passionate about it. And there's, there's a lot of people that help people write books and you in my, in my book, Susan, you stand out, you know, as, as really helping people. I know sometimes this doula is overused a little bit, but I feel like you're a doula, you know, for birthing these amazing transformational books and you fucking well-earned expertise, you know, the life that you have walked through and that you continue to keep living now in joy. And I'm just, I'm really uh, grateful that our paths crossed. Me too. Thank you, Lisa. I, I really do play in a wonderland now. It really, it, it is fun. It, I'm grateful to my husband, my second husband and my first husband. I'm grateful for all of it. You know, it's, it's all been part of me discovering who I am and who I'm here to be. And I think too, you know, we talk about transformation. The other piece of that for me is that writing that kind of a book is also a transformational yes. journey. Yes. I have seen that. I have, I was, I, I was saying to you before, it's like, I have clients that I know need, need to write the book before they can really do the other things. And then they're the ones that come to me that want to write a book because they think they need to, or they should, or you're supposed to write a book. And those, I think, just sort of delay things overall and are a distraction. And I feel like you're helping the people that really need to write a book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
that that well okay so to go a little woo woo on you here i love a good I woo-woo. think i can do that is my belief is for those people you're talking about who need to write a book where the the book is is tapping them on the shoulder. yeah they're <laughs> saying okay come here i want out i want out the part of the book is it, like we have these pieces of the book are all over us there's part in our energy field part of the book is in our imagination Part of the book is on our hard drive. Part of the book is in our body. Part of the book is in our history. Part of the book is in our dreams. Part of the book is in the other dimensions of who we are and who we're here to be. So there are all these little pieces of the book all over the place. And that's why people really spin when they try to write their book is because there are all these pieces and it's really hard to figure out how to draw them into 3D reality. And that's what I do is I help people find those pieces and draw them into three-dimensional reality and structure them because most, most of my clients are pretty woo-woo and out there and conceptual and big, big dream people. And I have my feet planted firmly in the ground and I'm really good at structure. And so that's what I do is help them pull that into this reality so they can see the picture on the front of the puzzle box, which they haven't been able to see before, and then work on the book. And so it's such exciting work and it's part of their divine purpose because every single person they've ever met, every job they've had, the family they were born into, that mean Uncle John who you didn't want to sit on his knee, him was part of their world, their relationships, the training, all of that stuff has made of you the perfect funnel through which that book was meant to flow. And so in terms of the mission and the struggle, all of that has been divinely facilitated to turn you into that that vehicle for your book. And that book has been tapping you on the shoulder because it wants out. It's time. It's time to do this. So this is this is the land of make make things happen that I work in. And it's so exciting to watch those books emerge from people's energy fields. Oh, I love that. Isn't I that fun? It. I love it. I love it. And and it's it's Exactly the way that I feel about your mission-based, heart-based business, like your calling. It's exactly how I feel about like all of those pieces and, and everything you said about the experience that they've had and is like leading them to, in, in my world, it's about the it, it, same as yours, it's the book, is, is the business, which could have the book, but you know, the business and how much our healing and your healing in your business, our healing is so intertwined into the birth and the growth and the next level and the up level of whatever it is our expression is in our world when it comes to a business and to really honor every single thing that brought us to where we are now and the ones we need to honor right now to then grow it to the next the next place. So and I'm, how amazing, can I just jump in here? Because yes. I'm pretty charged up about this. I know. How amazing that our, our businesses can be vehicles for good in the world, that our businesses can become a tool for us to do our work in the world and, and create prosperity and abundance where we go and share that and, and grow that and evolve that. And, and when you add your book in there, which is one of your tools for building your authority and building your brand, yes to all of that. It's not just, let's tell a hard knock story here. It's about taking the wisdom that these experiences have given us and putting them in service of the people we're here to serve through our businesses and through our lives. Let's face it, it's you know part of our business, but 
that to me is so exciting. <laughs> well, I'm excited to be with you. I'm going to thank Steve too. So wherever you are, I'm sure I'm totally certain that he's going to be listening to this or if he's not with us already. Um, oh, he, he's telling me right now that I should tell everybody how damn good looking he was. <laughs> <laughs> he needs the I world to know it. he was hot. All right, all right, Steve, we gotcha, we gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Susan, this has been a delight. Um, I can't wait for people to hear your story and I'm so happy that you came on the show. Oh, thank you, Lisa. What an honor and a privilege to be with you. Thank, thank you for allowing me this opportunity and for being interested in the story because it's not the one I tell too often to people. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I'm, I'm honored that you're here to tell the story and I think it's a really important one. So thank you. Thank you. So Susan, isn't she amazing? has a really juicy gift for my listeners called, it's, a, it's a, actually a free writing course called Write Like a Pro. And the link is in our show notes. And she everything she does is super high quality. So I think you're going to learn a lot from it. And if you're thinking, maybe I should be writing a book or I'm supposed to write a book, but you're not really sure. I say, go grab that freebie and take a look and see if that you know pulls you forward a little bit. And her favorite GFR commandment was number four, Trust that your struggle serves your mission. And I'm sure that you are convinced by the end of her interview that her struggle served her mission. If you don't know what your favorite GFR commandment is, then that's another action item. Go get your 12 GFR commandments, y'all. GFR.life forward slash 12C. And you'll get a little instructions on how to use them. It's not a 12-step program. Uh, you don't need to do them all. <laughs> it's really focusing in on the one that is your missing link right now that is possibly going to reveal to you where you might be in your way. So that's the purpose of the GFR commandments. Would love for you to get your hands on those. And also, if you're new to the show, please subscribe on a podcast app or wherever you're listening, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. We're in all the places, iHeartRadio, so you don't miss any of these amazing stories so that you could stay on your path of your mission and do the work you're supposed to do here on this planet. Over and out for now.